0: Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Mark Good G'day everyone, welcome to Footyology. This is the round 20 review edition as the race for the top of the ladder heats up after a very interesting weekend of footy. Three teams jostling for the top two spots, all important top two spots, and hosting rights for the first week of finals. Three teams all equal on points now at the top of the ladder. Eighth place still up for grabs at the bottom end of the eight. All sorts of permutations still possible with three rounds remaining, as I say, very good evening to my footyology co-host, Mark Fine. How are you,
1: Finey? I'm well. Fresh footy. Get your fresh footy updates here. It's funny because we've got so much football media and so many opportunities People believe to always tap in to footy talk or listen to it. But the reality is, straight after the end of the round, we're there and not many others are. In fact, I'll say that there's a bit of a dearth of options. So get your fresh footy news here. Get your
0: fresh footy news. So what do you make of the weekend in a very small nutshell? Uh,
1: Geelong are targeting their own back, aren't they? There's teams... Brisbane aren't faltering. West Coast looked fantastic. Richmond are ominous. And Geelong at the wrong... I'm calling them okay, but that too far back. But uh, Geelong at the wrong time of the season are looking vulnerable. And it's almost a sniff in the air with them at the moment. Now, you mentioned fresh. What else can you get right now that is very, very fresh? You, your sassy co-host. And... Andrew's Hamburgers at 144 Bridport Street in Albert Park. Don't convolute something like a hamburger. There's plenty of things you can put mayo on figuratively, but this is one thing you want to put mayo on. Their burgers are perfect. The patty, the bun, and all the trimmings, and the service, and just a lazy 80 years behind them. One of the first in Australia to make burgers at the best, and still thought so by many bloggers and food websites, of which there are a plethora. I was going to say poultice. Is that the same thing? Yep. yep. Okay.
0: One phrase comes to mind when it comes to Andrew's hamburgers, and that is melt in your mouth. What about a fresh house?
1: You wouldn't want it to melt, but I'll tell you what, you'd want it to be made weather resistant. I live in a 100-year-old cottage and the, the wind almost whistles through it. That's why it needs a Nick Bartels and Hardwick Build Co. Rebuild because I promise you this, well, just like we guarantee you burgers by the best, we also guarantee you built by the best. And a certain Essendon captain and Collingwood captain and a mainstay of football journalism in this town can back that up. Let's get on with the program and I'm sure that those amongst other people would be interested in your take also on the big news of the round, Rowan. What is it? What What's your headline?
0: Well, we'll come to that right now. Let's not waste any more time.
1: On footyology wrap around.
0: And round 20 got underway at Marvel Stadium on Friday evening with those uh, great rivals of the uh, mid-70s fighting, North Melbourne and Hawthorne. And uh, it was a good win in the finish to the Kangaroos, 12 goals, 14, 86, 3 goal victors, no that's not right, 22 point victors, sorry pardon my maths, over Hawthorne, 9 goals, 10, 64, for the Roos, 4 goals to Benny Brown, 3 to Zeeble, 2 to Wood and Higgins, for the Hawks, Mitch Lewis, uh, impressive up forward, 3 goals to him, 2 to Gunston, singles the rest, well, Hawks got off to a good start in this game, fine, In fact, at quarter time, I reckon a lot of us were sniffing a potential upset. 4-4 to 1-2. James Warple running rampant. 11 touches to him in the first quarter. Jay O'Meara looking good. Uh, but gradually, the Roos just flexed their uh, superior muscle, I think, and perhaps a bit of superior class across the board and rested the advantage back. Uh, still trailed at half time, but really got on top in the second half with... Seven goals to three after half time. Fantastic. Uh, talking about the edge in class, represented none uh, better than none better than Sean Higgins' twenty-eight disposals for the classy mid, and a couple of goals to him. Uh, superior firepower up forward, just a better spread of goal kickers, and in the end, uh, a fairly efficient victory, I thought, over a plucky but not quite good enough Hawthorne.
1: I came to a conclusion watching that football game on Friday night and the fact is that we have to realise football now is 18 teams that all pick their players from the the same pool. It's, It's a choice of young talent each year and where a team can really start to make a difference is during the trade period where teams now, there is a bit of fluidity in trade period and you look at any AFL team, they've got a number of important, a number of players on their list from other clubs. And those decisions are vital. And they don't have to be high-profile players. And on Friday night, there was Sean Higgins, the former Bulldog. Pollock, quite wisely taken by North Melbourne for their needs. It's been a very good pickup. And Marley Williams, who came from Collingwood and, and has, at his best that sort of run that they need and and that's why they have taken him and probably persisted with him but I thought his run was very important in that game and it just shows that uh, sort of where Melbourne went wrong this year is not picking what they needed but North Melbourne did go out at the end of last season and 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 had been able to not draft their way I think to a better team because Let's say LDU Davis uniaki I'm not sold on him yet.
0: No, he had the
1: fumbles a bit, didn't he, on yeah. Friday night? Yeah, I think I think their best work recently has been at trade. You know, understanding what they need during the trade period. And mm. I looked at them and I thought, you know what? You do it again this year. If you get it right one more time, you can genuinely be a, pre- uh, no, a finals aspirant. I think they've still got a couple of gaps. Oh, definitely. But I really like the run they got. It just struck me that they didn't draft it. They sort of have it. They mm. they got it. They they sought it from other clubs.
0: Yeah, well, that's that's where recruiting's at now. You can't just rely on the draft. You can't just rely on trades and the good clubs. And, in fact, you probably can't even just rely on those two. You've got to sort of pick the eyes out of supplementary
1: selections and but, rookie drafts. Yeah. And, 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 I mean, Hawthorne coming down the other side of the mountain can owe a great deal of their premiership success to that very wise recruiting that they sort of pinpointed during their their peak performance years.
0: Absolutely. Speaking of which, um, obviously need to give credit here to Sean Burgoyne, breaking the Indigenous Games record. Uh, no better example of how they supplemented what they already had. Uh, a pivotal part in those three premierships in a row, Sean Burgoyne. So a fantastic effort by him. Uh, on the other side of the coin, we might just have unfortunately seen the last of Grant Burchell who yep. pinged a hammy. Um, couldn't possibly play on next year, you'd think.
1: No, and it's it's sad that we've seen now in the last month three players come back from long-term injuries and all of them aren't going to see the season out and probably only Natanui out of Natanui, Dale Morris and Grant Birchall will is likely to see AFL action again.
0: Yes, uh, of course, he's got a fair bit of age on his side compared to the other two. So, very quickly, we think North are a very solid
1: mid-table side at worst. Yeah, I mean, I I think the whole competition has the potential to push for the finals next year, maybe with the exception of Gold Coast. But North Melbourne, to me, seem well-placed in terms of maturity of player, body size, just to fill a few gaps. They need some backup in the back half because we saw when Scott Thompson was out last week. If they're down one of their tall defenders, they're quite vulnerable and they need one or two more lively midfielders. Yes, well... Um, speaking of which, the
0: Hawks, uh, quick word on them. Uh, what they need most, we know they're going to get back, and he's a Brownlow medalist, and his name is Tom Mitchell. Absolutely critical loss for them. I think they need one or two line-breaking types on top of that, although, you've got to say, pretty
1: encouraging performance from Chad Wingard in that regard. Yeah, again, his his ball usage isn't perfect, but at least his evasive skills were there to uh, on display. You know, if I had to put in order next year, teams likely to make the eight or win the flag, I reckon I'd have had Hawthorne 17th. Uh, I don't know if I'd have them that low, but I'd, I'd have
0: them certainly in the bottom half. All right, there's enough from Marvel Stadium Friday night. Let's go back to the same venue the very next afternoon. Radio the early Saturday afternoon game at Marvel Stadium and a comprehensive win for Port Adelaide over my Bombers finey. Uh, Very disappointing day for the Dons, but credit where it was due, the power. We know they can pull out performances like these, and uh, this certainly was in that bracket a great win to them, 19-12, 126, terrific score, and that is a gap of 59 points to a miserable Essendon score, 9-13, 67, four goals to Robbie Gray, three goals to Todd Marshall coming back into the side and doing very well. Two goals to the brilliant Connor Rosie. Two to Dan Houston, a uh, player reborn as a very, very effective, handy midfielder. For the Bombers, two to Fantasia, two to Snelling, two to Stringer. That was all she wrote. And uh, you knew the Bombers were in trouble very early in this game, finally. Yeah, the power got the first couple on the board, and I thought, look out. And uh, Essendon, frankly, didn't offer much of a yelp. Their forward line in fact, the, probably the the biggest blow came before the game with McKernan a late withdrawal. That really stuffed up not only their potency up forward, but their whole structure. Hooker went forward, couldn't fire a shot. I was told by a pretty reliable source last night that he spent two days in hospital last week with an infected arm, hence the big bandage he was wearing on his arm. Good to see him wearing the home coloured bandage, too, as made popular by Nat Fife. Um, But he looked very immobile and uh, pretty unlikely to do any damage. And they just didn't have any targets, the Bombers, really. And uh, Fantasia, he's really struggling. Not sure he even should have come back into that side. Um, In contrast, uh, the Power, when they went forward, made every post a winner. Robbie Gray always seems to save his best for the Bombers. 19 disposals and four goals for him. Terrific game. Love the game of Rosie. He ended up with two goals, five from 22 touches. But he just uh, reeks of class, doesn't he? And um, the setbacks kept happening for the Bombers. Darcy Parrish got concussed. That was a huge blow to them in the middle of the ground. Aaron Francis took a couple of heavy knocks and he didn't look quite right. Adam Sard had uh, hamstring issues and uh, I'll be surprised if he plays next week. Uh, All on top of that late withdrawal, of course. Um, For the power, well, everything clicked. You know, they won the midfield battle. Xavier Dersmer, uh, terrific game from him. Another fantastic youngster. 26 disposals for him and one bow and arrow. Imitation. Interestingly, during the colonist, Eddie Maguire was a lot less scathing on that than the Adam Goods uh, war dance one a few years back, but uh, we won't go over that controversial ground just now. This was a terrific win by
1: the Power and kept their finals hopes alive. I mean, as soon as McKernan didn't take the field, you looked at the Essendon structure and uh, had very grave doubts about their chances of winning the game. Mitch Brown would have had to have a standout game. It was a bit of a standout game for him because it was so poor, which is unusual for him. Well, the
0: problem it was with, dull. Yeah, yeah, no, the problem with Brown is he needs, he's not really a marking target. He works best if there is one, yep. and I yeah, don't think he really works as the P, you know, no, as a no,
1: key forward. So. But I don't think he even tried to be the P. He was too deep on many occasions, sort of uh, owning deep pocket position rather than presenting up. Zach Clark was terrible for mine. Yeah, not, not so much in the rug. When the ball hits the ground, he's the thinnest reed of a ruckman going around and he's you know, he's knocked over by a you know faint breeze and given that the roof was on, all you had to do was sort of blow in his general direction, he tripped over, so he was no good. I was watching the game and I actually was found myself admiring Essendon for having won the previous few weeks. <laughs> I just couldn't see how they could have done it. McKernan obviously played a big role. Parrish was a big loss. So yeah. even in the with the um, constraints going in, or not into the game, actually by the time the ball was bounced with availability, it got worse as the game rolled on. I just couldn't work out how they were winning games. When I had a look at that team, the, the, the back line held together by Hooker, but he has to go forward. Um Snelling, did Snelling play one game for Port Adelaide? Yep. Okay, he kicked a couple of quick goals for Essendon, and I thought, okay, I love when they do well against their old team. He could have sent a search party out for him in the second half and not found him. I mean, he was pity that he didn't parlay that into anything, as you know, I I like that word. From the Port perspective, well, don't boo your ex-players, because Paddy Ryder had been going terribly, and they started booing him, and then the boos were just more regular than any other time during the season for him, because he got the ball more than he normally gets.
0: Well, his ruck cohort did pretty well too. Laddams, uh, I thought, and only yeah. his, what, yeah. third or fourth yeah, yeah.
1: Um That great roving goal by Rosie, wasn't that great? Yeah. front. You know, it wasn't sort of half volley pickup at full speed, superb goal. And it really was, there was a point there where Essendon were bravely hanging on to their coattails, sort of 12 to 18 points behind. But this was floodgates about to open, wasn't it? Oh,
0: and their the he, the heads dropped very yeah, quickly. Yeah. And, yeah, I mean, you look at it in hindsight and you say, well, you know, they've scraped over the line five weeks in a row, had to come from behind. It was inevitable. But um, no, nonetheless, pretty disappointing. And, look, I mean, seriously, Essendon, you'd still probably back them to scrape into the eight. But uh, I think they're going to be at fairly long odds to survive week one.
1: So one of the odder games of football ever played by anybody. Who was that? Number 36 for you, Hartley. Yeah. Why was that? He decided, well, he obviously fancied himself as a punch of the ball. You know, he decided he's going to spoil the ball. Mm. And early in the game, he punched the ball. It went miles. And he was, uh, literally, he was looking at the punch like you watch a kick. (laughs) And and then, every time the ball went near him, it was like he was serving for the match at Wimbledon. (laughs) He really got into leaping and punching. And to be honest, mate... Sometimes two hands for beginners. Yeah, it wasn't a great afternoon for the bowlers, no doubt about that. The uh, and, and, and by the way, can your club control this um, this rash of unusual bleaching of hair?
0: Yes. Yeah. Well, that was the re- uh, Fantasias was the result of a bet. Um, can't remember if Guelphie's was or wasn't. But no, I think uh, it wasn't
1: because it's it's on- ongoing. Yeah. Well, tax- been,
0: ongoing touch-ups. Well, he's been flooded with offers for boy band revivals. So uh, he played all right, by the way. Yeah, he's he okay. All right. he, all right. he's, he lacks a bit of polish, but yeah. he he's no, no questioning his effort. Uh quick one on Port of the teams outside the eight. Do we think they're now the most likely yeah, to come I, in?
1: Yeah, I did all the math, and they're probably going to make it.
0: Yeah, well, yeah, provided they can string more
1: than one good performance in a row together. Yeah, I mean they would... Which it, is a pretty big if. It is a big if for them, but I guess they were able to break the pattern of win-loss-win-loss by stringing a couple of losses together. Three Was it three? Yep so maybe they can get into the habit of winning. All right, enough on that game. Let's head up to Sydney
0: for the Battle of the Bridge. GWS taking on the Sydney Swans. Saturday afternoon at Giants Stadium, and uh, a thriller and another narrow shave for the Giants. One by one point last week, two points this week. GWS 12-11-83, defeating a plucky... Sydney, 12-9-81, three goals to Jacob Hopper, two to Himmelberg, two to Finlayson, for the Swans, four goals to Isaac Cooney could have had a couple more, two to Ronkey and Papley, singles the rest, and this was a uh, real seesawing game, wasn't it, finding the Swans got out of the blocks, kicked three goals very quickly, two of them to Papley, and led at quarter time, then it was the Giants' turn, five goals to one in the second quarter, um, third quarter, they both sort of had their periods of control. In fact, the Giants early in the third term looked like they were probably going to go on with it, didn't they? 21 points up, and then uh, the Swans hit back with three in a row. Blakey kicked one right on the three-quarter time sign. That brought them back to within five points, and then they hit the front in the last quarter with a good running goal to Ryan Clark. Isaac Heaney then missed a couple of uh, pretty critical Chances, and then there was a massive turnover, wasn't there? Robbie Fox uh, turned the ball over in the middle of the ground. Finlayson Gold on the rebound, and then one to Jacob Hopper. Isaac Heaney still had one shot to fire. And the Swans almost pinched it again with a, um, uh, was it, uh, maybe it wasn't disputed, but Sam Reid so close to taking a grab literally in the last few
1: seconds, and the Giants hung on. Yeah, I know that you said plucky swans, and they were. But really, the plucky team here with GWS, and I reckon when Leon Cameron looks back at the season, or even his time coaching GWS, this period where they've been able to eke out wins with definitely the the since their inception. Of course, when they started, these kids were yet to play enough football to be great. But on paper, oh, this these couple of weeks, this is the um, the less the the least imposing, the least glittering, the most um, utilitarian team they've ever put on the field. Well, Cornelio, Kelly, two fairly major yeah, outs. Yeah, major outs, you know. And, and you watch Lucky Keefe crafting some sort of regular football and, and just they're trying different guys. They've got guys... And Cameron didn't play this week. I mean, so it, it becomes for them a matter of just winning the game, getting the four points. And they did it that last quarter. Sydney will go back and say, how on earth did we not win that game? Heaney, who's a lovely kicker goal, has a shot from 35, 40 metres out and misses. Mm. From the kick in, they man up, they they literally kicked the ball to him. 30 metres out, even better angle. 40 metres out, by the time he kicked it, missed it. James Rose gets a ball, this was unbelievable. He was 30 metres from goal. Mm. And he kicked it like he was eighty because he ran right up to the guy in the mark and kicked it into him. Mm. I mean, they just did not want to hit the front. And I got a feeling the GWS—they were gone. I mean, they got that goal on the turnover. I had—I had a sense that GWS were playing for time with ten minutes to go on the clock, that they were just going to lose. I'm pretty—I think we can watch a game and feel pretty confident saying which way this is going, all things being equal. Mm. And I just, I think anybody would watch that game and say they were not going to win.
0: Well, I think that's been the common denominator in those, I mean, that was probably the case last week. You thought Port were finally going to get in front. Even going back to that, you know, in what will be remembered as one of their best wins down at Geelong in round four, uh, you thought Geelong's going to get on top and win this. So great resilience. Just one thing I wanted to point out too, it's not like, um, all the guys that have come in for the injured blokes have been plotters, either because that young Bobby Hill—he's an yeah. excitement machine, isn't he? Yes, he, he is. I
1: uh, will tell you, who is a bit of a plotter that came in? is Brett Deledio? <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, that's a bit harsh. <laughs> oh, he is. I mean, you know, injury has dulled a player who's real value to the game. Because I've always had, I've always had a thing about Deledio, and I think it's fair to say Deledio is an exceptional talent. That was not always as mentally tuned in as other players, other top line footballers. Mm-hmm. Um and now that brilliance has been dulled a bit because of irregular football. But uh, sort of he a couple of times he had shots at goal or kicking into the forward line. And that beautiful kick that was such a trademark of his game that was it, it elevated him above others is no longer there. Or certainly not there. When he's missed three weeks, comes back for a week.
0: Quick one on GWS. You'd expect them to probably hang on to that fifth spot. Yep, that's not going to be good enough. I don't think they can possibly win oh, no. a flag without being top four.
1: Not not knowing that Cornelio's very unlikely to play for the rest of the year. The what they need to do is win the first final and show that pluckiness in the next final, where they'll be away from. Uh, their home ground, giant Stadium, which they did in 2016. Remember? I remember they can do that. Yeah, so at least as a group, they have built up, I think, within the four walls, a self belief that they can go toe to toe with good teams. And mm. not saying that Sydney is a good team, but I think they they look back at the Geelong game and say, "Yeah, look, we can go with teams. We're not going to win it the way we probably people think we play footy by soaring through the middle of the ground and kicking 15 to 18 goals." we can go play some dower football and maybe get one of those 73 to 71 point wins in the second week of the finals. I think that would see them out. Nevertheless, that would be a good year.
0: Yeah, fair enough. Look, I, I didn't even tip them in the eight. I thought this might, but that okay. gradual decline might have even um, sped up a, a little. So they've, they've certainly outperformed what I was expecting of them. You mentioned Geelong. Let's now have a chat about the Cats and about the side who knocked them over. Okay, Saturday twilight, Optus Stadium in Perth. And this was a terrific win and a surprise win, no question about that, by Fremantle over Geelong. 34 points in the finish, 14-11-95, defeating the, I was going to say strangely lacklustre Cats, but fourth loss in seven games for them, 9-7-61. Hanging on to top spot now, only on percentage, and early on, it looked like that was far from the case. They were really good in that first quarter. Five goals to two at quarter time. Tommy Hawkins on fire. Or he had a, a couple under his belt by then. And then after that first uh, term, 12 goals to four. Just four goals in three quarters for the Cats. This, remember, by a Fremantle side without Lobb, without Hogan, without Taberna. So a trio of key forwards gone and missing a fair chunk of their defence in uh, Nathan Wilson and Luke Ryan. Um, So a terrific win by them and all those sort of elements in their game when they are on song seem to return almost surprisingly because they looked a very lethargic and dispirited bunch against the Bulldogs the week before. We've seen them do this before at home, of course. But they really got on a roll, and and perhaps some surprising instigators too, uh, in that second quarter, when they came from what uh, twenty points plus down to hit the front by halftime. You had Mitch uh, Crowden with two goals, um, Bailey Banfield kicked a goal, Sean Darcy or Baby Huey kicked that goal just before the halftime siren to put him in front. Big games from Brad Hill, fantastic game from him. I know you want to talk about him, Nat Fife. You just expect it out of him every week. Now 27 disposals for him. A couple of huge grabs and goals at a critical juncture in the game. And uh, last quarter, they just ran the Cats off their feet. Five goals to one in that last term for the Cats. Tim Kelly, good game to him uh, from him in his home state. 25 disposals. Tom Stewart uh, kept the flag aloft in defense with 24 But I think almost the most notable stats for the Cats, these three guys, Ablett, 17 disposals, Dangerfield, 16, Joel Selwood, 15, a strangely subdued um, super trio of Geelong midfielders. And I think this has gone beyond a blip, finding. Four losses in seven games. They are officially in a bit of bother.
1: Gary Ablett had a little burst of sort of memory lane football in the second quarter, kicked one and did some clever work near the goals to assist in another one, apart from that. For oh, I can't no, I'd say if you when when he finally retires, and I cast my mind back to when did you first think you know, old father Todd was catching up with Gaza, might have been this, this weekend. What particularly? The the ball was getting whipped out of their back line, and he was the way he was playing. He was hoping for spillage or um, fortuitous. He wasn't in the game, he was playing a little poaching role in the forward line rather than going and getting the ball. He was hoping the ball would be fed to him or bounced kindly his way. Not really how we know Gary Abler to have played his football. Uh, Selwood was beaten by the other Selwood. Actually, I thought Scott played better than Joel, to be honest. Mm. Um, Interesting game. Okay, Geelong control the first quarter, and for the first half of the second quarter, a bit of status quo remaining. But you can see the Fremantle are putting in a heck of a shift, trying their guts out with players you really don't know. Who's he? Who was he? Who was he? And interestingly, they're not first-year players. Guys like Banfield and Crowden, they've been around. These mm-hmm. are the guys that uh, critics of Lyon point to and say, he's not a development coach, he's a structure coach because he hasn't developed these guys. So they're back in the team either through injury to others or to prove others wrong. It's not the first time Lyon's done this, you know. He's had a sort of big questioned a couple of years ago at Fremantle about not being a development coach. Within two weeks, the team was unrecognisable. Mm. He put everybody in that they were saying he wasn't playing.
0: Well, what what's happened in the past, now, I remember the period you're talking about, it was... Um... Started 2017, they got wiped. Yeah, that's right. In their first two games, and then they put the kids in, and they look terrific. But what happens? Well, what I've noticed every time this seems to happen, as soon as they start sort of getting on a roll, that he he resorts back to super conservative Ross yeah. in terms of game style and selection. So
1: I don't know. I mean, the yeah, it's, it's an the, interesting discussion with him, isn't it? Yeah, it seems as though the belief is very firm that he. He's not a a teaching coach. He doesn't sit back and look at players and want to develop them. He looks at players that can now perform a role in the structure he needs. Well, there's a fair argument
0: that a senior coach now, that is exactly what he should do. I mean, there's an army of assistants and development
1: coaches to do that sort of developing stuff. The only problem is that when the team's going okay, no matter what these guys out of the team do... He will not drop somebody if that player is performing the role he wants. Mm. Now fans might not be able to see that role; the stats might be low, but he knows what structure he needs. He needs—it's uh, like he's operating a beehive. He needs soldier—you know—soldiers and workers, and, and queen or king. But you know, he needs the big boys. And creativity does exist in his side, but only a few players have the license to do it. I reckon sometimes he does it almost as a a,
0: a badge of honour to his disservice you know like there's a sort of a i don't don't want this to sound the wrong way there's sort of a lack of humility about it you know very much so very much
1: so he's rigid and he is there is a level of pig-headedness about him against the rest of the world Mm. the the, you can knock my door down and tell me i'm doing it wrong but i'm not hearing you yeah it's my way of the highway so interestingly this this game that could be pivotal in him retaining his job he can thank some of the players that he has not shown a lot of faith in in the last couple of years. Mitch Crowden, I think it's the first time he's kicked two goals in a game, but he kicked him in quick quick order in that second quarter comeback. The third quarter was, you know, cigarette paper between them. I think it started, what, the quarter started, Freo one up, ended then three up, something like that?
0: Well, that, no, Freo were three points up at halftime
1: yep. and uh, eight points eight up points, at okay. three Quarter time. But it really was a, a dour battle in that third quarter. mm was there any signs that the floodgates would open one way or the other? I've got to say, if you thought they would open anyway, it would was Freo's way. Mm. They were getting more of everything, but not using it as well as their opponents. The worry for Geelong was exactly what you said. All right, we've got Kelly going okay. Hawkins still a bit of a taker. Mitch Duncan okay. I don't think Selwood or Dangerfield Ablett and a few others, I don't think they can turn it around because well, they, were getting, they were getting more they were more and more. And Mundy became important. It was mm. quite early. Used the ball beautifully a couple of times. Well,
0: the interesting one here is Managola because yep. I, I really rate him yes. and, and hence his return back to the side. How mm. do you reckon he went?
1: Um, it's, I reckon it's hard coming back in Perth. I don't know. I, I, I feel that, um, again, he, he found himself petering out. Mm. Which is not unusual in Perth, but for them, the big worry was they couldn't exploit Sanderlands because you know he's a big dinosaur. So they played a big dinosaur on him. Well, that you know, He was alright, Sandy. I thought he went. All yeah, right. I'm saying he did yeah, all right, but yeah. Zach Smith couldn't really exploit him because. Nah, that and that's that's Geelong's
0: uh, huge issue, isn't
1: it? Well, they should have put Blitzarves in the ruck. You know, he mm. he rucked one game. They threw him into the ruck down like GHBa this year. He was brilliant. I think he could have exploited the situation. All right,
0: one question, uh, one-word answer. Can Geelong
1: still win a premiership? They can, because we've seen them at their best this year. That's not year. one word, but go on. Well, you know, yeah, I mean, no, I'm mean, saying yes, with a caveat. Yeah. The only reason I'm saying that is because of what we've seen them do earlier on in the year, and I still like the versatility that is at Scott's fingertips. But if he doesn't use it, then what's the use of having it? What's the use of having guys like... um? Blitzards who can play fullback or in the ruck mm. if you're just going to sit on your hands and watch the game, Peter, away? I, I think
0: they can. I don't think they will. You know, yeah, I, 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 that's I think where I am. this, you know, we're talking about an almost two-month period now where they've played, they've been pretty ordinary. It's pretty hard to turn that
1: around, I reckon. Alright, so logic tells me that if the guy, is if an old player like Ablett and Selwood, if they're starting to play less um, imposing football at the end of the year, then the finals doesn't uh, sort of bode well for them. No, I mean? no, but, no, it's, it's but great... they are such professional finals footballers that there might be an, a sort of um, uh, counterintuitive kick in their form because finals will bring something out of them that would, they wouldn't happen for other older players. I
0: think that's a, a hope rather than an expectation. All right, uh, there's Saturday Twilight. Let's go to Saturday evening. Saturday night at the MCG, battle of the original co-tenants of the MCG, Melbourne and Richmond, and in the end, a pretty comfortable win. Oh, I
1: don't agree with that.
0: What? I think original I think in the
1: 18, 1880s and 90s, I think your Essendon spent some time Sharing the MCG with Melbourne. Didn't they play at the East, East Melbourne. Melbourne Cricket Ground and that was removed and there was a short period where they moved next door and okay, played with all Melbourne. Right. Well, I
0: stand to be corrected, Mr. Historian.
1: And then they went back to the country town of Essendon.
0: Anyway, back to 2019. Richmond, 13-15-93. 33-point winners over Melbourne, 9-6-60. For the Tigers, three goals to Tom Lynch, two to Graham, singles the rest. For Melbourne, three to Fritsch. Two to Jordan Lewis, playing again as a defensive forward. Two to Kyle Dunkley and singles the rest. I sat on the boundary for 3 W for this game, Finney, and I got massively wet after halftime. So hum, wasn't it? Um, yeah, and no, it was always going to be, I think. i tell you, the rain, it was... I thought it was on the Yorkshire Moors or something. It was more like a mist. It was that fine... But it just it just didn't relent, and I thought, oh, this rain's not too bad. And then I looked at my that's ominous. I, I looked at my clothes, and I was absolutely sodden uh, by the finish of this game. But I tell you what, I'll tell you right now: if it rains on Grand Final day and Richmond are there, just put you put your life savings on them. Seriously, they are the they are close to the best wet weather footy side I think I've ever seen. Ever seen? Yep. Oh, that's a big call. Well, you've got to go back to, you know, the comparison I'd come up with is probably Collingwood of the late 70s and famously almost pinching that 79 grand final off Carlton. But, um, you know, Richmond are a much more accomplished team than even that Collingwood side was. I thought Hawthorne in the 80s, you know, with Lee Matthews, they had some...
1: They had some real yeah monsters oh, playing the
0: wet. Even late eighties. I mean, the grand final they won against Melbourne by the record margin. That was a game largely played in the wet. So yeah, look, you're right. But I, these guys are as good as anyone. Just and it suits their game style. A hectic numbers around the ball, knock the ball forward. I was watching them quite closely. Even their kicks off the ground, of which there were innumerable, their kicks off the ground are really measured. Everything is always to their advantage, to a teammate's advantage. Handballs forward, they'll handball into space, but invariably it goes to a teammate's advantage. So then... They've got this game style finely honed. It's perfect for the wet. It's perfect for the high-pressure environment of finals, too. So even though it was uh, virtually all square at halftime, Richmond only three points up. After halftime, it was seven goals to three, and the game never in doubt. The good performers, well, the usuals. Dusty Martin, fantastic. 34 disposals. Used it absolutely brilliantly, as he does in any sort of condition. Shane Edwards, 31 disposals for him, thought he was terrific. Dion Prestia, playing some really good footy now, 31 to him. Basher Hooley, off half-back, very consistent football he's playing, 32 to him. And Nick Floston, 24, again showing the uh, depth of talent they have here. Dylan Grimes, really well held by Jordan Lewis last night, he just wasn't able to... Um, get off and, and sort of zone off or, or rebound with any sort of effect at all, but it didn't matter because Vlosten and Hooley were doing exactly that job. Could have been a bigger win. Um, Shy Bolton and Jack Rewalt, seven behinds between them. Uh, for the Demons, Max Gorn, solid in the ruck, uh, 26 hitouts, 19 disposals. Bailey Fritch. Um, promising talent i think i'd be playing him mainly forward not in defense three goals to him clayton oliver pretty prolific 32 and my mate michael Hibbard. yes we both share a hairdresser um 29 disposals for Pig. i thought he was pretty good another guy uh for the tigers finally we we haven't spoken about a lot in uh, a, a lot about him since he came late into that premiership side, but I really like the way his development is headed, and his name is Jack Graham. So I'd like to comment on him. That's six wins in a row for the Tigers, by the way, and Melbourne have now lost nine of their last 11 games.
1: Yeah, Jack Graham's interesting. I think a few clubs have indicated that to his management that if he's, at the end of this season... Um Concerned about the lack of opportunities at senior level at Richmond, that they would take him and offer him a, a multi-year contract. So, obviously, other clubs know that there's plenty of value in Jack Graham. He's maybe Richmond's hand forced a little bit in the last two or three weeks, and he's going to play some senior football, but he won't let them down. He's a good player. He's, he's tough. Yeah. yeah. You know, for a young
0: guy, he's, he's yep. strong, and he's tough, and he's aggressive.
1: The Melbourne... <sighs> Again, I think this is about as well as they could have performed under the circumstances, given their paucity of forwards. They gave Richmond a bit of uh, something to think about, certainly in the first quarter. And heading into half time, I mean, Richmond had sort of turned the ship around somewhat, but Melbourne's effort was satisfactory. No, better than that. It was, it was good. The problem about playing Richmond is that when that ball goes into the Richmond forward line, you need four types of defenders, and teams just don't have that sort of coverage. They obviously the Yorkshire Moorish weather made it difficult for high marking, but you need a couple of very good aerial, strong aerial backmen to play against Lynch and Rewalt. You need very quick fall of the ball players to play against, obviously, the Castagnas, you know, shy Bolton, and he continues to be a player that. Uh, plays good football and also is not sure of his place in the team. Mm. So you've got to mark him, you've got to mark Rioli but then you've got Lambert coming forward, a bigger body type, now Caddy. Mm. Well, these are three very different types of defenders and I don't think teams But So it's Correct. I don't think teams have that coverage. Not in the quality that Richmond need you to have them to quell their offensive powers and it's one thing having a great forward line with, say West Coast's forward line Pretty much, well, no, that's unfair because Ryan, as we'll talk about later, he adds an element that no one can budget for. So, but they're the two premiership favourites. It's all well and good to have a marking forward line or an energetic forward line like Collingwood's, with today worked well with Elliott, etc. So you can budget for that. But how do you play against Richmond that has three different, you know, mids, strong mids? Lively drop of the balls and great marking players. I
0: think the key is in the quality of your delivery by foot.
1: You have to put pressure on upfield, and that is
0: why I think West Coast are far and away the biggest chance of beating Richmond when it comes to the premiership.
1: Yeah, and and of course, all that forward line gets just the star treatment polish when Martin goes forward because he's got a forwards mentality and he mm. likes kicking goals. All right, so another very efficient win by
0: the Tigers. They are looking pretty ominous, got to be said. And another game on Saturday evening over in Adelaide. Let's talk about that one. Over in Adelaide, the Crows in all sorts of trouble, desperately needed to win. Um, St Kilda never won previously at the Adelaide Oval in nine attempts, so could they break the ice in their tenth? And the answer ultimately was pretty comfortably Not. The Crows, 22-point victors, 14-8-92, defeating the Saints, 10-10-70. Four goals to Taylor Walker, hitting the scoreboard a bit harder than he has previously this season. Three goals to Eddie Betts, restored to the lineup. Two goals to Matt Crouch, singles the rest. And for the Saints, three goals to Tim Membry and the rest all singles for them. Uh, For the Crows, Matt Crouch, 35, Uh, he seldom gets under 30. Rory Weird, 38 off half-back. I guess maybe probably the most significant performance of them. Bryce Gibbs, 29 disposals for him in his first appearance back in the side since round 15. They're pretty, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, pedestrian at times, though, still, I thought, the Crows. You know, very conservative with their ball use, a lot of chipping sideways and um, Great moment of excitement when Eddie Betts recreated the famous Tim Watson goal of a 1981 night grand final.
1: Yeah, that was early on, but the Hopping was good. over the
0: pack. Yeah. Um, and uh, last quarter, look, I guess St Kilda still half a chance. Josh Bruce kicked one, and they were back within 11 points, but then who was it, Darcy Fogarty. Uh, Let loose, a 55-metre bomb, and that pretty much settled it. Uh, Membry threatened to get out of control a bit, but um, they swung Hardigan off him and Talia onto him, and he was able to pull the shutters down on St Kilda's strike power. So um, got the job done, the Crows, but not necessarily a win you'd be riding home about, or which necessarily sells you on their chances of hanging on to that spot in the eight.
1: Yeah, it was a... For them, I thought I thought they'd be pretty pleased with that performance because of course there's been question marks on Walker. They went with Walker on his own, not Josh Jenkins. So uh, I think he fulfilled the contract. Two of his goals were off the ground, but he's and you know, I'll you'll hear more of this later in the programme. He might not be any good, but I'm not gonna criticise him ever again because he certainly goes a rod right against St Kilda. Now, this was a game that St Kilda frustratingly had like a greyhound facing a lure. The lure under their nose, but of course the dog never catches the lure, and St Kilda never catches Adelaide. The reason why they couldn't catch Adelaide, if you listen to the commentary of the game, you might think that Gerard Healy bangs on a bit, to use the euphemism, about St Kilda's delivery into the forward line. Well, he should bang on a bit. It was excellent commentary, because a time over and over and over and over again did St Kilda, who led the inside 50s, who really had more of the ball than Adelaide. And when the game was contested, that young midfield is starting to develop into something. Hunter Clark, very good again. Caulfield playing well off the half-back line. So good news for those recruits have, that have taken a bit of time to start their engines. But the delivery into the forward line was, at times, impossible for the forwards. And at best, um, only, a con- only option for the forwards was to compete. And he made a really good point, and that is you should never see Membry and Bruce in the same pack flying for the same ball. Mm. When a player has the ball, give him options. Know that you'll kick it to the one player coming out of full forward, Bruce or Membry, because they're very good competitors in the air. But let there be two or three players creating the leads selflessly, that do not necessarily ever get honoured, but create some room if that ball isn't marked. But if they're all congregating and the ball is kicked to the congregation point, it's very hard to score. And St Kilda were back to the type of score that Alan Richardson could not get St Kilda over the line with. The actual There was a lot of kicking the ball around, a lot of precision play, which Adelaide did a bit better than St Kilda. So that's a a pointer to why they won. Rory Laird played a good game, and that, I think, was very important for them. Tom Lynch, well, St Kilda had him. Ross Lyon never saw anything in him. But I'll tell you what, it makes a difference when you've got a half-forward flanker that will run till his lungs burst to create space and an option. And in the end, the right team won. For St Kilda, again, they putting a lot of players through this side... And I think there are some positives.
0: Well, the positives you've got to take into next year if you're a Saints fan is that their effort is seldom... Their effort is oh, yeah, but we, nine okay. times out of ten, very yeah, good. Yeah, they're probably, well, That's a pretty solid foundation. It's A for effort, but E for, e for um, execution. execution.
1: So we look to players that can break that mould. And they would have been very happy with, even though not a huge impact on the game, what he did was very good. In fact, very similar goal to Connor Rosey from Ben Long. And I thought that, Ben Long started to show signs of a genuine, dangerous forward. Mm. So there are signs there. I'll be very interested to see how St Kilda's structure up next year. Mm. Max King coming into the forward line. How that side will look. I, I, know, I know this.
0: Well, I, I reckon how the list will look. You you um, gave a team of yeah, players are, who, who weren't playing at the moment. I, I reckon a lot of that team won't be
1: there. There's a, lot of, a there. lot of mid-range players that yeah. that have been sort of marking time. The team was also not correctly picked. Jenkins was out on Thursday night, correct? Yep. Well, they, they, There was no reason to play Brown and Carlisle. And Carlisle ended up in the forward line in the last quarter. Mm. Not so much because the forward line didn't have a, high, a, a tall option, mainly because he was superfluous to needs in the back line if you played Nathan Brown there. Mm. Now, I... Ideally, you would have picked Carlisle and not picked Brown. But once I saw the Adelaide team, St Kilda picked the wrong team. All right,
0: there's Saturday's games done and dusted. Let's turn our attention to Sunday. Sunday afternoon at the MCG, the early one game, Collingwood playing the Gold Coast. Didn't really shape as a blockbuster, let's be honest. And uh, as you might have expected, a good chance for the Pies to regain some of that uh, battered confidence And they did so with a very convincing 69-point win over the Suns who, after coming so close last week and being pretty competitive the week before, just felt like their hearts had been ripped out because they did kick the first two goals of this game, but it was all one-way traffic thereafter. Collingwood, 18-12, 120 over the Suns, eight goals, three, 51, four goals to Will Hoskin Elliott, two goals to Travis Varco who had a... Huge purple patch in the second quarter. Two goals to Elliott, two to side bottom, two to Majacek, and singles the rest. So a good spread of goal kickers there, 11 in total. Um, like I said, finally the sun started brightly enough with the first two goals of the game, um, but even then you felt like it was only a matter of time really, and the Pies, after getting their bearings and going to quarter time, with a narrowish lead, then just put the foot down. So in the final three quarters, fourteen goals to five. They've uh, the Pies have added four and a half percent to their percentage, which could be fairly crucial in the final wash-up. Thought they midfield. Looked as impressive as a group as it has for a long time today. Thirty-six, thirty-five touches to Adam Trelaw, nine inside fifties to him. Particularly good in those first and second quarters. Fantastic game from Brodie Grundy, who I'll uh, expand on a bit later. But up against a really good ruckman in Jared Witz, thought he was terrific. Um, Travis Farco bobbed up and really sort of set the fire underneath his pie teammates with uh, some. Real dash and dangerous forward play in the second quarter. For the Suns, I like Ben King up forward. He's looking increasingly confident and assured. He's a long-termer, I think. And Jack, he's licocious. Um, Also, under a fair bit of assault down the back line, uh, keeping his wits about him. Ah, and, a good point. And, uh, wits. He played well. Yeah, didn't mean to do that. <laughs> uh fifteen losses in a row for the Suns. It's been a pretty hapless year for them, but funnily enough, still won not without some promise.
1: What was the final margin?
0: Sixty nine points.
1: Ah uh, yes, you know, the French have always been at the vanguard of um Euro lovemaking. and it was they who came up with the en Nerf, the sixty nine, as a image of graphic uh a numerical graphic of a of a of Love making where it's even and the contribution and receipt is even. This was the most uneven clash of the season. So the final margin was not reflective of these two teams. And I'm telling you that if you handicap these teams for experience, for body size, I thought Gold Coast did really well. They were almost to a man inferior around this alien planet the MCG, for... Yeah, but I'd say
0: a lot of it's true. Well,
1: it was alien to them because, Mm. honestly, when they got the ball in the back line, the the idea of... Or Collingwood kicked a point. The idea of them, of traversing the ground, took us back to the first ever game between Scotch and Melbourne Grammar when the ground was two and a half miles long. Must have been... There weren't many coast-to-coasts in that game, and I'll tell you this much. Gold Coast were as much chance. They, they had no size coming out of the back line except for wits. They had no idea really of how wide and how lost you can get at the MCG by tripping it into that back pocket they got hemmed in all the time. It was frustrating watching them. It really was. From the Collingwood perspective, they would love the fact that they were able to run Elliott into some form. I think that's important for them and Varko. They handled... the uh, I don't think Cox took advantage of the situation. That's the only downside. What did you make of his performance? Uh, not a lot. How about that painful coconut cracker between... Uh, Mahocek and Mahocek and Piers Hanley. Hanley. Yeah. Or that Hoyts.
0: Well, that was after Hanley. I was just thinking what actually happened, but Hanley made a pretty bad clangor from memory. I think a turnover. Yeah, the
1: ball ball was, um, again, it was out of the, from a point, because they had no idea of how to break what really is for any team in the MCG, the normal setup from a kick
0: in. Well, what has happened to Handley, though? I mean, you think about some of the footy he played at Brisbane. Yeah. He's just sort of
1: lost all semblance of authority or. Well, he, he tries to, um, and that's a problem for them. I think he tries to general the back line, but his great strength was his kicking, interestingly, for an Irishman, wasn't it? Yeah. His pinpoint kicking. Yeah, I reckon he might be What's um, evaporated. Uh, he could, he could, could open up a franchise on the Gold Coast because you know on the Gold Coast they've got every every second store is mattress king, abalone king. Well, he's the turnover king, so maybe he might want to open a store up there. He just well, hopefully
0: bought, Ben King stays up there and can have King. Hopefully king.
1: not. Hopefully he joins his brother <laughs> with his childhood. <laughs> dead. But I, really, Pierce tries to. I think it's symptomatic because they just don't have the players that can go one on one. Body strength-wise, he tries to pinpoint. He bites off way more than he can chew too often.
0: One guy I don't mind for um, Gold Coast, I've thought this a uh, bit late, well, Burgess. I quite like him. Mm. He's a tough-looking hombre. Yeah, no, he is good. He's, remember
1: remember Burgess Meredith?
0: He was actor, diff- yeah, he was in of Mice and Men. Oh, look at you, you
1: pompous gift. No, no, you know what? No
0: no, 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 that came to me. We actually came up on rock and roll a couple of weeks ago. Funnily enough, Burgess Meredith and I said, "What was that famous movie he was in?" And I had to look it up. And then I went, "Oh, yeah, of course, John Sladek, Sladek, Myerson, Men." Yeah, yeah. You had to read it at school. That's the only reason I know H- it. Yeah, there was the big slogan. guy. Yeah, uh, Lenny.
1: Yeah, but... yeah. No, again, as I said, you are so. You're such an intellectual elite. No, I'm not well-read. I'm not well-read. Well, when most people of our vintage mention Burgess Meredith, immediately what comes to mind? Um, Batman. He was the Penguin. Yeah, right. He was a difficult opponent and a tough hombre. Yeah. This Burgess is no different. Okay, now
0: we're going to run through uh, analogies for all the (laughs) characters out of Batman. Batman. Uh, One-word answer, seriously. Can Collingwood win the flag? Absolutely not. That's two
1: well no doesn't that no, just no. Sometimes, uh, we, it we... doesn't go to the depth of my belief <laughs> that they can't win it I'm going I'm saying no you, you know by the way why the Hurry baddies up. never won in Batman no well all of their layers and everything were always on an angle what do you mean that's how they filmed it that the bad guys yeah you know the they they're where they Home their base was yeah. it was never straight. It was always angled. Screen was that so they could fit in the graphic that said Kabam! "bang." <laughs> but they just—it was very hard to operate on not flat footing.
0: Of course, and uh, I think that's enough on that game. Uh, let's head to Marvel Stadium for a third time in round twenty. Okay, Marvel Stadium, three twenty PM Sunday afternoon. This was this had a danger game feel about it for West Coast. Mm, uh, started that way. Carlton have been playing some pretty good football in winning five out of their last seven, and the two defeats only by a kick. Um, and look, in the finish, even this one, not not a an emphatic victory, but always managed to, after the Blues started brightly, I think the Eagles managed to keep them at arm's length and have patches of very, very impressive football. 24 points to margin in the end, 15 goals, 9-99, defeated the Blues 11-9. 75, four goals to Flying Ryan. Liam Ryan, what a talent, and one of the most courageous marks you will ever see, certainly in the same caliber as uh, the storied Jonathan Brown and Nick Rewalt marks. It was that good. Two goals to Jack Darling, two to Luke Shuey, two to Waterman, singles the rest. For the Blues, an unlikely top goal kicker, Nick Newman. Four goals, off half back. He wasn't moved forward. He kicked a ball off half back. Reminiscent of Shane Ellen in the 1997 Grand Finals.
1: Reminiscent of shut up, Rowan. Sorry to bring that up. Get on with the
0: game. Uh, Three goals to Sam Gibbons and singles the rest. So the Blues certainly took the early initiative, didn't they? Four goals to 2-5, inaccurate early West Coast, which was... And that
1: inaccuracy reminded me of when Essendon lost the Grand Final to Carlton in 1968. Uh Yeah, yeah, the only grand final in which the losing team
0: has kicked more goals than the winning team. You want to make me upset about grand finals? Oh, I was only you've, three. I well, don't you've don't had really more than it. me. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, we're even. Um, Critical period of this game in the second quarter where Carlton actually started pretty well in the second two, but then the Eagles just went bang, bang, bang. One stage they had nine inside fifties and scored goals from six of them. Phenomenal conversion. Uh, Liam Ryan was just absolutely terrific. They had two threatening spearheads. And look, Jack Jack Darling, um, who only ended up with the two goals, but it was a better game than that. He was so uh, dominant in the air in that second term. Um, uh, that's really where the game was won. Seven goals straight, the Eagles added in the second term to the Blues. Two goals, two. Um, their ninth win from nine games in Melbourne yeah. over the last yes. two seasons. And nine out of ten in Victoria, of course, they did get smashed down at Geelong, but don't most sides. Um, So this is a side... Absolutely no worries about their capacity to perform on the road. I thought all up, given how well Carlton had been playing, it was a pretty impressive performance. Just
1: a quickie, and I'm not taking the mickey, mm. and I guess when this player... You want to ask
0: one about Hickey?
1: You had to ruin the punchline. Oh, I had a whole raft of them. Sorry. I was ready. But I was, oh, just a quickie, I'm not taking the mickey, but um, a lot of people thought when they were picking a backup rugman they weren't being picky, and I thought that was a bit tricky, and... Because of that into his body that's now dicky, they turned to a Ruckman and his name is Tom Hickey and he was bloody good. I'm
0: I'm sorry, I didn't realise you were going to come in here tonight and channel Dr. Seuss.
1: But he was good, wasn't
0: he? <laughs> uh, Hickey or Dr. Seuss?
1: Green eggs and Tom uh, Hickey. He yes. was good. He was good. Yeah, he's good. Look, darling. He's doing the job Lysette did last year after Nick Knapp went down. That's spot on. And Lysette's not doing the job. At Port Adelaide, (laughs) correct. So, Darling has obviously he's an interesting case study. His worst is absolutely unacceptable, and his best is really ominous. And he's had a very good season. He oh, he started terribly. His first six weeks were Darling back to Darling from Blackadder, but he is he is rolling into the finals as the main the main man. I reckon in the finals, now we know that Richmond have got lynched and we know that Brisbane have got you know, this wonderful midfield and we, we understand that there are going to be key players but Darling can just, he can almost lift them to a premiership because Kennedy's a, a reliable type. I thought Baras um, uh, and McGovern were, for the first time, meaningful. As, Yo's as looking, a tandem. Yeah, mm. Yo's looking great.
0: Oh, he he played a terrific game.
1: Yeah, so these are the trademarks of a premiership. For the first time, and I know it's against Carlton, people are going to say, mate, I know they've won a few games, but have a look at the ladder. No, for the first time this year, I agree with you. I've been very resistant. It's the first time you've agreed with me all year. About West Coast. Oh, okay. Well, if if people listen back to previous podcasts, and that Mm. is the beauty of podcasting, you can. You'd need a lot of time on your hands, but you could do it. I've been steadfast in not buying into your West Coast love in terms of going back-to-back. Is that fair to say? I mean, you know, you you keep running it up my flagpole. keep you keep tearing it down. And today was the first time when I... You salute it. I'm not saying they're going to win the flag. But like you say, I'm not saying they will, but I'm saying they can. And for the first time today, I actually found myself thinking, all right, if Rowan brings it up tonight, or I think it's worth bringing up, maybe I'm slow on the uptake. But that team is beautifully balanced... Oscar Allen adds a sort of that finals type unexpected pee in the pod.
0: Yeah, and, and uh, you know, a key forward who's incredibly mobile as well. We haven't seen Rioli. Yet. Well, well, hang on. Speaking about mobility, yeah. you've got Petrocelli. Look, he's very quick, Petrick Incredibly quick. And, yeah, but, I saw, look, I wrote... When he, when he, but does he have stamina? Because I think he might, might have been out of Petrocelli tickets a couple of days <laughs> ago. I, uh, I wrote, I reckon, two days after last year's grand final, there's scope for improvement. And you had to look at two guys, Ryan and
1: Rioli. All right, so Rioli's had a a um, stop-start season. Yeah. He's He'll the, be there when the whip's... I'm saying, right but here. he's the one, for mine, that has some upside. mm and this team doesn't need a lot of upside to be the best team in the comp. There's one we haven't mentioned, Jared Cameron. Uh, look, Gee, he's they're going to have. He's, say, he's I, good. He's good. In finals, he'll be asked for more defensive yeah, efforts than he's currently putting. I'll in. I will
0: tell you what, though, they're, they're going to have some incredibly lucky, unlucky players to miss that best twenty-two. Is it Jeremy in the Cameron? I don't
1: think it's Jeremy.
0: No, Jarrett. Did I say Jeremy? Maybe. I said Jarrett. Oh, I meant
1: Jarrett. Yeah. It'd be good if they had Jeremy. <laughs> Why Who would have been top-heavy? don't know if they could fit him in. Um, yeah, no, well... I'm, the- I'm on. I'm on board. Yeah. That team that I saw today with a bit of upside, they don't need Net we Don't worry about that. They're not going to get him.
0: Absolutely no question in my mind, they are far and away the the biggest chance to knock over Richmond.
1: I'm almost saying... The team needs to knock them over now. Because, yeah. because of ladder position, Richmond might have to put up with fourth. Yeah. They, how do you counter them? The Eagles. Yeah. Um, I think Richmond's got the team that can do it because they've got Grimes and Asprey. Yeah. They might be able to stand Darling and Kennedy and work from there, but I don't think any other team can play them.
0: Well, I, th- I think a lot depends on how you structure your forward set up. I think you, you probably have to make a lot out of mid-size forwards and really... Yep. Um, you know, hit up targets high in the inside the fifty. Try and take McGovern and Barass out of the equation because they today particularly generated a lot of scores out of their back fifty.
1: First time they, I think that they gelled and they they were more adventurous. The one team that it's funny because I look at all the teams that we know of the, over the last few years. Collingwood, we've learned a bit about. We understand Geelong. I think we understand Geelong a bit. Mm. But Brisbane, and we're about to talk about them, Brisbane are such a strange story that maybe they have something, that they have their own script to write. Maybe they don't worry about who to play on, Kennedy, Darling, mm. Ryan, Rioli, and just keep doing what they're doing.
0: Well, we can discuss that right now. And the final game of round 20 and uh, no doubt the uh, biggest game of the round up at the Gabba between Brisbane and the Western Bulldogs promised to be a cracker and uh, well for most of the first half it looked like it wasn't going to be a cracker. Brisbane pretty dominant, uh, Bulldogs very inaccurate but a key injury to Dane Zorko setting Brisbane back on its heels. And the Bulldogs making a bit of a charge, um, got reasonably close, got within 17 points in fact at three-quarter time. Brisbane though, as they have done a bit lately, steadying when it counted to run out 18-point winners, 14-14, 98 the Lions, defeating the Western Bulldogs 11-14-80, their seventh win in a row. What price could you have got on Brisbane winning seven games in a row at the start of this season? Takes them into, well, they remain in third spot on the ladder, but just 0.8 of a percent. They are 116.5, West Coast ahead of them 117.3. Setting up a fascinating run home finally with uh, sides 2, 3, and 4 all playing each other in the last three rounds. Uh, can they, Brisbane, pinch that second spot? Their final three games, Gold Coast at home. Geelong at home, Richmond at the MCG, West Coast plays, Adelaide at home, Richmond at the MCG and Hawthorne at home. Uh, pretty good win this, given the Bulldogs had a charge, at them. but uh, gee, they'll be waiting anxiously on the
1: results of how serious that injury to Dane Zorko is. Well, the captain has had a fantastic building season and that almost mirrors the form of the team that he captains, so you couldn't be more right in saying that the Zorco diagnosis or prognosis will be central to their claims on a top two. I've got a feeling to finish top two, they might have to win the last three. Of course, they'll beat Gold Coast, but then to beat West Coast and Richmond would have them by then surely, Geelong and Richmond. Uh, pardon me, Geelong and Richmond. would have them surely uh, gain the respect of the football world and a genuine premiership contender. Let's talk about this game, and it's one in which... I thought Bulldogs could win. I just felt that uh, Brisbane, each week they add another number to the number of wins in a row, you scratch your head. But they have a team and they don't have a big forward that they can rely on. Hipwood kicked an important couple of goals in the last quarter, but he's not a weekly in-and-out goal kicker. Yes, they've got Harris Andrews, but some of their other backmen are um, not household names. Their midfield is strong, but not... As deep as some others. Their Ruckman, really, he's a great competitor, Stefan Martin, but maybe not quite as good as he was, yet the sum total of what they provide on the field is irresistible. Maybe Mitch Robinson best uh, sums up what this team is doing, and that is playing the best football of his career, Mitch.
0: Well, when would you have thought of him as being reliable? And he's, exactly. He's become reliable.
1: Exactly right. And he's a ferocious competitor... He's like an Englishman in New York. Good name for a song. Yeah, and not the Sting version either. The Godly and Cream version is the one I favour. And like an Englishman in New York, um, out of place maybe on paper when he went up to Queensland because Carlton didn't want him and he was moving away from his beloved Tasmania. And if if there's anywhere you could get distracted, it might have been up in Bris Vegas. But he is absolutely focused on great football and... They are very much a team that on paper will not look anywhere near as good as their opponents during the finals. But footy ain't played on paper, is it, Rowan?
0: Well, no. And they've got, um, we know how good Charlie Cameron is. Four goals, obviously critical. But one guy who's really putting his hand up now since coming back into that lineup is Alan Christensen. And he was really important for them today. And Have they got a lot of players with a point to prove? Um, well, he's certainly one of them. Robinson's another one. Uh, I guess Hodgie even is one of them. Yeah. Lockie Neal probably. Yeah, so yeah, they have. But, I mean, just having Christensen up and about, playing good footy again and having had premiership experience, I mean, that's going to be an invaluable addition to the ranks come the finals.
1: Their are opponents so I want to ask you about because every week they will have two players well north of 30 possessions and whether it's at McRae or Dunkley and Bontempelli a combination of those three, sometimes all three.
0: Well, I think today McRae 45, I think, Bontempelli 35.
1: Nevertheless, it doesn't always, in fact, this year less often than, more often not than yes, those big possession-winning games by some of their midfielders is not a route to victory.
0: No. No, they're just, oh, I'm, what is their biggest Achilles here, do you think? I... They
1: need another, they... It, it's a Norton's, forward line, yeah, isn't Norton's it? Norton's a good marking forward. and mm. Jackie has provided a little bit. Well, they got
0: four goals. They each kick two, so yeah. f- four goals out of each of them.
1: I don't think they've got a brilliant um, small brigade in the forward line to benefit from ball spillage. So it's really for them been hoping that the midfield can come into the party, or even Joe Hannison off the half-back flank. But who are their small forwards? I don't think they. I think really that's where they lose out a bit. Is maybe. Retention in the forward line and turnover pressure to create goals in the forward line.
0: Well, one guy they had, of course, when they won that flag famously, was a bloke called Liam Picken. Boys, he and he missed. And
1: Dalhouse at his best was that sort of player. Yeah, I don't think they've got that.
0: So, do we think the Bulldogs can or will or can make the eight? No, they can't anymore. No, I don't think they can either. I mean, um, I mean, they were
1: they would be hoping they were hoping to keep it alive till the last game where. They play at Mars Stadium, I think, against Port. Yep, yep. I don't think they'll be alive then.
0: No, they play Adelaide. Adelaide. Yeah.
1: But I don't think that'll happen. That was their, that, that was their sort of aim of getting in.
0: All right, I'm going to ask this question uh, every week now until the final start. Do we think Brisbane can win the flag? No. I'd say yes. Do we think Brisbane will win the flag? Oh, some,
1: that's not an answer. <laughs> can? I think they can, but I mean, you know... A, I I don't think they will, but I think they can. I can climb Mount Everest, but I will never do it. (laughs) Well, yeah. I do do have two legs and two arms, which apparently was very similar to the, the physical makeup of Edmund Hillary. He had two legs and two arms. And a Sherpa. Yeah, I don't have one of those. Is that, Sherpa is that Tenzing. Type of, isn't that now, isn't it a Sherpa now a four-wheel drive from Japan? <laughs> <laughs> New Mitsubishi Sherpa. All right, uh, that is the nine games of round 20. So actually, now that you bring up Sherpa, mm. and we've been talking about Tassie, have you got 30 seconds for a great Sherpa Tenzing story? Make it 30. Because like Jeff Poulter told me this story on the weekend. There was a boys' school, the famous boys' school in Launceston, and they were applying for a new master to look after what's called the huts which is all the boys that live on the premises mm. and it was a major role because you are in charge of all the borders and they got this guy out of left field and he literally got the job because he claimed that he had been part of a party that climbed mount everest and was a personal friend of sherpa nor nor what's his name i can't
0: remember his first
1: name just tenzing tenzing nor any tenzing And they were so impressed by it and in those days they difficult to follow it up they took him on his word now incredibly three or four years later sherpa tenzig did a tour of australia and he ended up in tasmania not surprisingly the school made an enormous effort and he visited the school and on that day that man of the huts was not there so they decided after school to personally take him to his house and when he opened the door, Sherpatensik pointed at him and said, "I have never seen this man." <laughs> and he was sacked from that day and never appeared at the school again. What was his name? Nelly Yoa? <laughs> Is that uh,
0: you know the um, Sudanese guy who played for Collingwood and played for Chelsea and? Uh, oh, okay. Oh yeah. yeah. Okay. Serial exaggerator.
1: Yeah, but um, isn't it like he just opened the door <laughs> and the Sherpatensik says, "I have never seen that man." <laughs>
0: All right, nice story to finish off our review of round 20. Uh, That is all the games done and dusted in detail. Let's now talk about the highs and lows of the weekend's football. On footyology, hot or not. All right, everyone knows how this works by now. Let's get straight into it. I'm kicking us off finey with a hot... um, I like this one. I, I don't know. I don't know if I'm slow on the uptake. A lot of Port Adelaide supporters will say, "Oh, you idiot!" Uh, and I have noticed him. I'm, it's not like I haven't noticed him, but maybe I haven't sort of appreciated just how good he is. Darcy Byrne Jones. He's a seriously good footballer. Fine. He's he's tough. He's close checking, but he also knows how to run off and create an attack. And I thought he was fantastic against the Bombers. Uh, twenty-five disposals, five tackles, seven rebound fifties. Um, he's a great. Re- he's a smart footballer. He's a, g- a good reader of the play. Um, and he did a bit of a number on Orazio Fantasia, I thought, for most of that game yesterday. Finished seventh in their best and fairest last year, but rarely gets supported, So I don't reckon you hear much about him at all. But, and you could say that about the bulk of Port Adelaide's defence, to be honest. They're all pretty unheralded. But, um, you know, we've talked about Jonas a bit and Cleary and those guys. Time we started giving this guy a lot of credit because he's a really good player. And uh, every time I've seen Port this year, this guy's been among their best. He was close to their best, I thought, yesterday against the balance.
1: Whenever I hear his name, I think of that sort of um, dial up you know, when news... Stories or a current affair, they need a psychologist. Yeah, is it Darcy? Somebody, Michael uh... Carr, Greg. That's what. <laughs> oh, <for Michael> Car- <laughs> yeah. it's someone with a hyphen in names. All yeah. right, go. Okay, I'm going to give a hot titty, hot, hot, hot to Brad Hill. A lot of speculation about where Brad will be next year. In a very surprising turn of events, it seems as though he wants to not be in Perth and is being courted again by Victorian clubs. So, with that as a distraction, he's had a very good season can he keep it going and my word he could against it along. I think he was the uh touch what's it called? The touch paper? The Touchstone. Touchstone. The light the flame that lit the fuse. And he really was by taking on the middle of the ground for a team that has young players that have been well schooled in the ancient art of you know, shit footy by Ross Lyon. <laughs> he He gets the ball, and it's as though he's not there for the lessons of kick the ball back conservatively uh, crab up the ground. Thank God for that. Because but I think that is the line methodology that certain players are given carte blanche to take the game on, and the rest, you know, don't confuse your abilities with your ambitions. But he just burnt through the middle of the ground in that late in the second half of the second quarter. And it almost hangs along on the back foot for the rest of the game because they became paranoid about turning over the ball mainly because it would end up with Brad Hill. That's how well, that's how incisive his football was compared to others. And it made them wish that Nakai Cockatoo was playing or somebody that could similarly bust the lines.
0: Very quickly, do you reckon if there was a symposium, the AFL ran a symposium on the state of the game with uh, supporters allowed to attend, And they wanted to bring out a sample of coaches. Ross Lyon would be about the 18th person they would ask. (laughs) <laughs> so, <laughs>
1: you imagine Ross standing there
0: saying, "But imagine oh, him at a symposium." Well, of course, we're uh, interested in in playing entertaining football.
1: Oh, but I always imagine that AFL symposium would be like when I went to the AFL Expo. It'd just be different stalls and whatever. And down side uh, a freak, freak alley would be Ross Lyon. That uh, <laughs> see the coach who defends against all expectations. <laughs> all right, avert your eyes, and he's in this dark corner, and people throwing
0: cabbages at him. <laughs> Uh, I'm going with a knot, and uh, it's Geelong, the ladder leader. And uh, we did talk about this in their game, but four losses now from the last seven games. So this um, post-buy patch of poor form is more than a patch. It's becoming a little too ingrained for anyone's liking, bordering on two months now. They're one of only three teams equal on points on top of the ladder. And I remember a a while back looking at their run home thinking, ah, No problems. Well, it doesn't look the same way now. They've got two games at GMHBA, admittedly, but they've got North Melbourne, who will provide some pretty stiff competition in the form they're in at the moment. Uh, Brisbane at the Gabba, they will right at this moment go into that one, underdogs, definitely. And they've got Carlton at GMHBA. So, uh, well, the Blues have vastly improved as well. So, I'll tell you what, if they front up for all those three games, how they've played the last few weeks, they're no... Uh, they'd be lucky to win one of the three. So they're in all sorts of cats. The magic has gone. Uh, we raved about their um, multi pronged, exciting forward setup. Well, that's sort of disappeared. Uh, Gary Rowan's injured again. Uh, Luke Dalhouse was a late withdrawal. Um, just all those pluses that we were talking about with them and the flexibility, it's all sort of disappearing at the worst possible... No, the worst possible time would be in a month's time. But this isn't a great time for it. There's a real danger of them hitting the final series in pretty poor nick and with confidence very, very low. So the pace setter for the whole season is really hitting the skids and they need to find something quick, smart.
1: You're up. Yeah, just on that, you know, I've got to comment and say this, that I was very excited about their prospects. Uh, I don't think they can turn around and just quietly... A real champion of the game, he didn't play this week, he is very sort of anonymously backing out of his AFL career, and I don't think he should play anymore, is Harry Taylor. Oh, really? I don't know what he brings to that team. Yeah. um... But it's been a real... Harry who, you know... Like, yeah, it'd be a sad way
0: for him to end, really, because he's been terrific. But
1: he, has he brought anything to the party this year? Even when they were going well now that they're struggling, like, I don't think that's what they're looking for. Yeah, no, perhaps not. Okay, your but, turn. And by the way, for Harry Taylor fans, champion of the game, because he was he was there to win premierships when it mattered. Oh, I love Harry Taylor. And
0: one of the best blokes I've ever met in football. I just
1: love him. I just think he's, he's, from a slow start, one of the great stories in footy. All right. Okay, my... Very quick one. Uh, it's it's a not hot is Tom Scully. Unfortunately for Tom, his career might be remembered for some mercenary tactics that got him from Melbourne to GWS and some shenanigans there. And, uh, and I, I guess we saw a sliver of his best football at GWS. I for a short period when he was fully fit. He was known as the most aerobically. Talented beast in the AFL. In an era of interchange, he incredibly could play 90% of the game running at full speed. He's been brought back because of injury. He's very li- I, I see very little upside in his game. He does get the ball. He doesn't use it particularly well. To me, he's a bit of a... Um, he's just a bit of a sort of a, a socks-down mongrel battler. He runs, gets it, barely ever kicks it you know, incisively...
0: But do you think... Um, sorry, I'll wait till you
1: finish. Oh, no, you... I know,
0: just, I just... Well, do you think uh, he needed perhaps to be given a whole season to sort of rediscover, you know, some strength and stamina and...
1: He's been in the system for
0: 10 years. Yeah, I know, but that was... A, it was a very, very badly broken leg. No, I
1: understand, I understand. In, um, broken legs have ended careers. I understand that it's... it's because, of, because we saw that period where unencumbered by injury, he was very good. We know that had fortune shun on him, he would have been a great player. Mm. But he's not going to get back to that. And and that's all he could offer, was to run his opponents into the ground. And at the end of games for GWS, when players are in quicksand a bit, this ultra fit runner was a decisive player. But when everybody's fit and he doesn't have that anymore because of his bad luck, I think he's very pedestrian.
0: Yep, okay, okay. Your, your call and uh, firm call. Uh, Final one for me It's a hot uh, Touched on it during the game review But Brady Grundy Yeah, it's not rocket science But uh, he's played some wonderful games Over the last few years This was uh, as good as any of them I thought 43 hit-outs uh, against a quality ruckman That's and his the, for, former teammate. I'm glad you made that point, Jared
1: A lot of players get 40 or 50 hitouts mm. against some lame you know, some opposition that almost grants them. Wits is very hard yeah. to beat the ruck.
0: Yeah, no, if you get him against Wits, you've really earned him 26 disposals, six marks, five tackles and a goal. And the goal to me sort of encompassed why I think he's now a superior ruckman to Max Gorn. Just well, he can kick goals. You know Max he struggles in front of goals, but the mobility to burst out of this stoppage, uh, get a break on anyone else that was involved in it and then just snap over his shoulder from about, you know, it was only 20, 25 metres out but it was still quite a tight angle. You know, that mobility and goal sense uh, makes him capable of being a ruck rover once he's completed his ruck work, whereas Max is more your sort of more traditional, um, uh, slower you know, sort of one-paced Ruckman. So he can be genu- genuinely dangerous up forward when he's near goal. Um, I think he is now officially the number one Ruckman in the AFL world on Brodie Grundy. It's
1: an enormous impact. And to be able to do that, constantly readjusting your man bun and fiddling <laughs> and fiddling with, with your internal w- mechanics, which I think are bought at a hairdresser's, like at a, haird- a hair warehouse or something, I reckon he buys a lot of stuff in the women's aisle, by the way, and there's nothing wrong with that, but it's mainly for more hair than he has. He's got things in there to keep it up and keep has it. Has he? Not
0: the Alice
1: band? Yeah, there's a band. a well, He wouldn't get through. I don't reckon he'd get through the metal detector. Well, if you're
0: uh, interested in football adornments, stay tuned because that's what I'll be uh, ranting about very shortly.
1: Excellente. I've got a hot, and it's going to be one of the most poorly structured hots of the year, but I want to say it anyhow. I don't know the name of the umpire, but he was umpiring in the Adelaide-St. Kilda game. I think the player might have been Luke Dunstan, but I'm not sure. My memory fails me. But the umpire played my favourite free kick of the year, and I've said it so many times, and he's the first to have the balls to do it. It was brilliant. So St. Kilda player had the ball and was free kicked. But the ball spilled out to Dunstan. I'm thinking it was Dunstan. Who took three steps... And then decided it was an advantage. But the umpire called advantage correctly because Dunstan took the three steps. Dunstan decided it was an advantage and threw the ball back to the St Kilda player. And the umpire paid a throw against him. (laughs) No umpire has ever done that, I don't think, at AFL level. It's such a good free kick. He just stood there and threw it back, and the umpire goes... "Ah." And have a guess what the Adelaide player did with the throw. The free kick. It was unbelievable. Dunstan was the man on the mark... He kicked it so shallow that Dunson was able to back back and mark it.
0: <laughs> he felt sorry for him Well, that's what everybody was saying. <laughs> they kicked it back to him. <laughs> All right, nice work. There's our Hots and Hots for this week. Well, this is a part of the show where we usually get fired up and a bit testy. Have you got an angry one this week or a funny one or what, what, what is it? We're previewing our <laughs> Mate,
1: we are killed a lost in Adelaide again. Okay, we're, and, and, we're, we've got and,
0: a miserable, depressed one.
1: And Tex Walker, emphasis on walk, Again, kicks goals against us. I'm pretty angry.
0: All right, uh, buckle your seatbelts, everyone, because it's that time of the week again.
1: On footyology,
0: the rant off. All right, we don't need to uh, dress this one up or bother with any lengthy preludes. We all know what happens. We just basically go off our crew it for a couple of minutes each. You're going to uh, crew it off first, Fanny, So I'm going to count you in right now: three, two, one, rant.
1: Unusual start to this rant. I'm going to pull my pants down. Oh. There you, you see see the bruise? See the bruise, Rowan? See where I've been kicking myself in the arse mm. since the game on Saturday night between yeah. Adelaide and St Kilda? Yeah. This is now the second time of the year I go into long and generally reasoned attacks on Taylor Walker because he is a serial bludger. The king of the Bogans plays poor game after poor game. I attack him mercilessly and he comes out and is the difference again in a game against St Kilda. Now, I know he doesn't listen to the podcast and he couldn't give a tinker's cuss about what I say about him, but I hate myself for setting myself up and my team up for another Tex attack. Now, the fact is, this bloke is generally pretty useless. Four goals against St Kilda twice in the year has really been enough, the difference, to make sure that St Kilda lost those two games? Why do I do it? And now I'm petrified that St Kilda is going to play Carlton in the second last game of the year. McGovern is going to lose eight kilos. He's going to grow a set of balls. And Mitch McGovern will be the match winner. So I'm shutting up from here on in, buddy. <laughs>
0: Fair enough. Well, uh, yeah, no, welcome, um What's the word? Humility from you? mea a, a, a culpa. culpa. Yeah, well, you know, karma. And I believe, actually, my sources tell me that Tex has been listening to our podcast. And after he kicked that fourth goal on Saturday night, he turned around to the crowd and
1: said, that one's for you, Finey. Yeah, yeah he would have done that. And you know what you can do if you do that? Go up in the stands and have another beer, you bogan.
0: All right. Uh, this one's going to surprise you. It just sort of occurred to me after something I saw last night. So count me in. Three, two, and one. I'm pissed off about tattoos, Fanny. They're everywhere. Back in my day, if you had a tattoo, you had to either be a hitman or a painter and docker you saw a bloke with some pictures on his arm and you cross the street. These days every second hipster's got some ink over his negligible milky white biceps. That Ed Sheeran guy's got the reddest hair and pastiest skin of any supposed rock star I've ever seen and even he's got tats all over the place. I'll tell you finally it's culturally inappropriate and the same goes to the AFL world. Remember when we all marvelled at Kevin Murray or Georgie Bissett's little Popeye the Sailor Man tats? That's how you spotted a tough guy. But it all started going downhill when premiership teams started getting little cups or logos on their ankles and now there's barely a piece of the human body not deemed fit for a tattoo artist to do his worst forget wow jones and that w on each ass cheek these days the only place you'll find a bit of pristine skin on a footballer's body is the O bit. I sat next to the Richmond bench on Saturday night and it was like going to the Museum of Popular Culture. There was Dusty Martin, of course. I'm pretty sure his eyeballs are now the only vacant bit of real estate he's got left. But I couldn't stop staring at Jaden Short's left calf either. On it was a perfect likeness of Marilyn Monroe. Apparently he wants to really build up his white calf now to twice its normal size so there's enough room for a new one of Rebel Wilson. <laughs> Josh Caddy's got some interesting pictures too. According to Matthew Law- Caddy saw a pic of some beautiful girl he didn't even know in a magazine and decided to get her inked on his leg. True story. Talk about incriminating evidence. Apparently, his girlfriend's none too happy about it. And I actually asked Caddy about it on 3AW after the game, and he ran off quicker than a shonky tradesman on a current affair. But it's also base, Finey. We're trying to get footy or appeal to a more sophisticated audience, so how about some sophisticated tats? Forget actresses, singers, or if you're Tom Liberatore Simpsons characters, we should be aiming higher. I want the Mona Lisa on Ross Lyons' arms to match the deadpan expression on his face. I want the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel replicated in intricate detail down the length of Mason Cox's body. And I want to see the Last Supper on Anthony McDonald Tippenweedy's bum. I'm pretty confident there's room for it. Those sorts of tattoos would at least lift the tone. And think of all the money the AFL would save on education programs. It'd give learning on the job a whole new meaning. That's a ripping,
1: beautifully written, very funny, and highly offensive because I'm tattooed. <laughs> oh, I
0: know you. You've got quite a healthy covering
1: uh, of. Yeah, so. why'd you do it? it? I love tats. Do? It's a very personal thing. I love. I, I don't love all tattoos, but I, they're mine. And mm. you know what? The funny thing is, I've had them for quite a while. And you, don't you had see them before them. they were hip. No, no, I had them around when it was hip. Yeah, but, okay. but I don't see them on myself. You'd, for the first year, you do. Mm. But I. I I can't remember the last time I, I noticed my, tattoo, my own tattoos. Mm. It's quite funny. Um, actually, speaking of tattoos, I was watching a show called Ask the Butcher, which is a cooking show and, and has, a, <laughs> has a, um, obviously a strong meat element. And the butcher, the, the guy that hosts the show was going around country New South Wales of Victoria and went to a country butcher who was famous for processing pork. And he made a beautiful rolled loin of pork. And he said, something really funny happened last week. A guy came in and asked for a really big piece of pork skin. And we do that because people like getting extra crackling. Yep. Even though he said, if you want real crackling, it has to be on the on the loin. But he said, if you've got a function, he said, no, I'm learning to be a tattooist. And I want to use it to practice tattooing. right, <laughs> okay. Well, you've got to practice on something. If you, and by the way, people, if you want to... A story about a cultured tattoo. The great Roald Dahl who wrote wonderful short stories has a magnificent short story called Skin. And you can just look up Skin Roll Dahl on YouTube and it's there and it's typically um well he's he was famous for Tales of the Unexpected. Mm-hmm. And it's it's did kid's stories too. They used to well, read wrote, us quite it, a lot of Roald Dahl. Of course, well he wrote School. He wrote um you know, Willie Well it's not Willie, it's Charlie and the Chocolate. Oh, that was Roald Dahl. Yeah, Yeah. right. Okay. And James of the Giant Peach. Oh, yes, of course. A staple. All right. And uh, and of course, his most famous one: Brett Ebert and the Giant Head. Yes, very good.
0: Uh, We're done here on Footyology. That is the round 20. Review edition. Uh, Just before we go, a quick reminder of the competition where that is
1: at. Still running. Your favourite football card of all time. What do you mean by favourite football card, finally? Yeah, send a picture of it, but real football card aficionados just can remember one card from a series that was caught there, just caught, took their fancy, caught their eye. Make and the case for it. And
0: send your entries to info at footiology.com.au where our judging team will get right on the case. And for your troubles, our lucky winner will receive a Footiology prize pack consisting of, of course, an Andrews Hamburgers T-shirt in your chosen size, an Andrews Hamburgers hat one-size-fits-all, and a 100% natural organic cotton Argan Gym Towel, one size fits all. It is a magnificent prize pack, and you can win it by winning our footy competition. Send in your best footy card. And a quick plug for our sponsors before we go.
1: If you want a burger, there's only one place to go, and that's 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park. And if you want a house? There's only one place to go. Nick's Bartels and Hardwick Bilco, and I'll tell you they've got something in common, the pair of them. What? They're the best in their field. Okay, and if
0: you want a song to finish off, now I've been choosing them all lately, so I'm giving you the run of the record collection this evening. Anything cropped up tonight that strikes your fancy?
1: It almost seems a bit convoluted. People will say, oh, that's why you said an Englishman in New York. But I really was thinking about Mitch Robinson, and he's a long way from home. So I could have done um, Frankie Goes to Hollywood. Long way from home. Welcome, Welcome to the, the Pleasure, pleasure done. Yeah. But I thought of an Englishman in New York, which actually, there was a movie, it's a term used for, uh, there was a famous um, gay poet who moved to New York, and his life is known as, it was put it a play, Englishman in New York, I think Quist or something, I don't know.
0: Adrian Quist. Not the tennis guy. Oh, okay.
1: Bromwich. Okay. <laughs> Anyhow. But, there was a great song in the 70s by Godley and Cream, a bit tensely, see Godley and Cream, but we had them recently, called it Englishman in New York. Strange apparatus. Even stranger theme. Now, in this song, there's a line. It said, it goes along the lines of sexual athlete willing to do anything to get in the game, willing to be in any position. And I felt that Mitch Robinson has been that player, not a sexual athlete, but an athlete who has really done anything and would play any role to be part of what he sees is his long-awaited chance to play in a grand final.
0: All right, let's go with it then. Godly and Cream and Englishman New York. This one's for you, Mitch. And everyone else, we'll see you Thursday morning.
1: To a burger by Keats is worst The hissing of omelets, the breaking of legs Don't shoot till you see the whites of their legs The pink
0: filet mignon looks black on the neck.
1: Strange apparatus You've never seen Strange apparatus Even stranger theme. Three alligators Big anglophile Will navigate us Through a change of style